Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good, good. It's nice to see you all this morning. Uh, so as Ali said, if, if you're new here, um, uh, we, we have worship after uh, the Word because we believe that the gospel is something we respond to, and so we respond by sharing communion together and, uh, and worship. That's cool, eh? What a beautiful day out there. I said to the, the people out in the car park this morning, they have to watch out, they get sunburnt. Hey, goodness. All right, well, we're con- continuing our series. In fact, we're wrapping up our series today. Our, our series has been Disrupt the System, Practicing the Ways of Jesus. Uh, and so I'm going to tie this up um, this morning. And, uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, has anyone enjoyed the series? Yeah, it's been really good, eh? Just um, nailing down into some of the disruptive practices of Jesus that that just disrupt the systems of the world that are, that are disorientating us, distracting, uh, distracting us, and ultimately disconnecting us from our true life source, and that is Jesus. And so, uh, you know, if we want to live the, the life of Jesus, we have to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. And so we've, been, uh, we've had, heard some great messages from a whole lot of different people uh, on, on different practices and how they apply those to their lives. And it's been really great hearing lots of stories, eh? Um, of just some real, um, some really great stuff. So, anyway, we're going to tie this up this morning, and um, uh, most of you hopefully will know that that our, our values here up on our wall up there it says that we believe everyone belongs, that everyone can live free, that everyone has purpose, and that everyone is significant. Um, and and that's uh, I want to sort of tie that in a little bit this morning with um, with what I'm going to talk about. If the goal of our church was just to be a big church, then um, we would probably just have everyone belongs, everyone uh, can live free, and everyone has purpose. We'd, we'd just sort of stop there, because the goal would be to get everyone to find their purpose, and, and so we can continue to build um, the church. But, but actually, we believe that everyone is significant, that there is actually something that transcends just finding meaning and purpose in life, but actually something to do with this, this outward lifestyle of not just uh, finding significance in what we do, but finding significance in who we reveal. That this transcends the idea of success, but success is just about adding value to ourselves, but significance is actually about living a life that adds value to others. And, and so we believe that there is more. There is more. Um, and so this morning we're going to um, uh, talk a little bit about um, uh, what, what the disruptive practice of, of the apprenticeship to Jesus. We're going to talk about our journey uh, in our apprenticeship to Jesus. And uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk about this. Owning your stage of apprenticeship to Jesus is what we're looking at this morning. Owning your stage of apprenticeship to Jesus. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is two things. I, I want to give you a helpful framework to help you identify and own your stage of apprenticeship. And then the second thing that I want to do is give a really big plug for Awaken You next term, um, because we're going to take a really deep dive into this framework. Um, So this morning, I'm going to give you an overview and hopefully whet your appetite a little bit. And so, and next term, we're going to dive right into this and help you actually journey through the stages of apprenticeship, own your story, own your journey, uh, and move through those. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, so the framework I want to share uh, today is something that's been developed over uh, many, many years. Lots of contributors have sort of added to it. Uh, great men and women of the faith who have observed uh, the Christian life uh, and, and Scripture and put together this framework. Um, the first thing I want to say is this is not a formula. It's not some sort of Christian success ladder to climb. 
All right, this is not a formula. Um, this framework has, for me personally, when I read it, I really actually gave um, a lot of language to what my experience has been uh, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and also what I've observed in other people as I've journeyed in their, um, in their faith. Um, uh, Dallas Willard, who's one of the, the people that sort of, uh, he, he doesn't uh, have this exact framework, but he has a version of it. Um, but he was a, an incredible guy who, who really helped um, put a lot of helpful language around what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and he said this, it's, it's taking on the eternal kind of life of being, uh, of being in the kingdom among us. He says we do this on the basis of loving cooperation or shared endeavor with Christ. So what does it mean for us to be active in our spiritual growth? Dallas Willard says this, we do this by unrelenting study under Jesus, and in, in particular by following him into practices and adapting them to form an effective framework of spiritual disciplines around, our whole, around which our whole life can be structured. This is precisely how we, through the Spirit, do mortify the life of the flesh and put off the old person to put on the new. Right, so the framework we're going to look at this morning is called. The, it's based off a book called *The Critical Journey* uh, by a lady called Janet Hagberg and a guy called Robert Gulich. And um, I'm probably saying that horribly wrong. Every time I read it, I think of goulash. Uh, but anyway, um, so uh, I first came across this uh, this framework or *The Critical Journey* in one of Peter McHugh's books, um, who we had here last year. Um, and so it goes like this. I've actually shared it on in our Facebook group, but it goes like this. So stage one is the recognition of God. Stage two is the life of discipleship. Stage three is the productive life. Stage four is the journey inward. Stage five is the journey outward. And stage six is the life of love. Now, some descriptions of this um, framework may include a stage called the wall, um, but, uh, but I think it's more helpful to look at the wall as the transition between stage four and stage five. Um, and, it, and without a doubt, the wall is the most important part of our journey. Um, it's usually the place where most people get stuck. It's the place where people regress. It's the place where people deconstruct their faith. It's the place where uh, people maybe just come apathetic or complacent um, about their faith. And so it's really important that we talk about the wall and understand how to push through the wall. Um, the unfortunate thing, uh, I think, is that uh, most of church culture or churchianity is sort of based around the ideas of stage one to three, that, that uh, finding your purpose in life is sort of the pinnacle of all Christian life. But I would like to su suggest that there is way more. There is way more than uh, just, you know, turning up, singing up, you know, and, you know, you know what I mean. All right, so we're talking about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about maturity in Christ, and um, I would like to suggest that suffering is the pathway of maturity. Right, so these stages in our journey are very fluid, we can move back and forth between them regularly, we can experience one more than uh, another, um, and, and usually we have what's called a home stage, a, a stage where we just feel more comfortable being at. Um, now, there is no stage that is more right. There is no stage that is more wrong. This is not a ladder. Please don't, uh, after this, please don't go home and think, all right, I need to like work my way through all these stages. It doesn't work like this. It's simply saying, Jesus, would you lead me? He will lead you through the stages when you're ready. 
and ultimately he wants to take you through the wall. All right, but this is not a competition. Please, please, please. This is not to enhance the comparison that already plagues the church. This is not what it's about. All right, um, yeah, so, so what, what can often happen is that we live unaware. A few weeks ago, I talked about intentional formation versus unintentional formation. And uh, I, I, this is a framework to help us again with intentional formation. Owning where we are at in our journey right now. It's not about comparing with one another, but just going, this is where I am at right now. And, this, and Jesus, I want to move forward in you. I want to I mature in my faith, and, and I want to move forward. All right, so the, the next thing, just before we sort of jump into the framework, is, that, is we need to understand that stages can become cages. Right? Stages can become cages. We can get stuck. We can get stuck at different stages in our journey. And um, as we were praying this morning, I just had this, um, this real vivid picture of... Um, like things that get stuck, you know, in the natural, when things get stuck, we pour oil on them. Yeah, like we pour oil on them to try and get them unstuck. And I, I just really believe that, that the anointing of God, the oil of God wants to pour into your life and help you get a little bit unstuck. Come on, the, the things that are stuck, he wants to get unstuck so that we can move forward in our journey with him. Um, so people usually get stuck at a particular place in their journey because uh, the, oh, the reality is we just find it more comfortable to sit than to move. Does anyone relate with that? It's sometimes it's just more comfortable to stay where we are than to move forward. Um, another sign of stuckness is the sort of having to be right and convincing others about our rightness at any stage in our journey. You know, we become convinced that where we are at in our journey is the most right place to be, and everybody else is in the wrong place. Uh, but that is a, actually a sign that you've just become stuck in your journey. All right, so let's, uh, let's look at a, a passage of Scripture here this morning. Mark 8, verse 34 to 37. I, lo I, love, um, I love this passage. And it says this, Anyone who intends to come with me, this is Jesus, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You want to go with Jesus? You've got to let him lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Listen to this, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? So an apprentice to Jesus is someone who has been led, someone who has relinquished control over their own life and has stepped into a place of trust and following Jesus. The life of faith is, or the word faith is this word allegiance. It's like a believing loyalty. It's like following Jesus wherever he may lead. The, the, um, a, a good definition for maturity, I think, when we think about spiritual maturity, it's this. A willingness to be led where you dare not go, especially through suffering and crisis. Yeah, so a, willingly, a willingness to be led where you dare not go. Saying, Jesus, this is tough. This is hard. Would you take me by the hand and lead me through this? You know, I, I have the amazing privilege of, of journeying with people through some of the toughest times in their lives. And uh, sometimes I'll be sitting down with someone and they're sort of pouring their heart out to me about what they're going through. And, and sometimes I can't help but smile, like I've got this smile on my face. But while they 
you know, for them, they're going, this is the toughest place I've ever been in my life. And I'm looking retrospectively going, uh, I know that you're going to get through this and this is the best thing for you. You're like, I'm kind of excited about the fact that they are embracing a journey of confronting this tough thing. I'm excited about the fact that they've been brought to a tough thing because it means that they're going to grow, they're going to mature, and they're going to come out of it trusting Jesus more. And so I get a little bit excited. And, and, and it's a little bit weird because they're telling me about the worst thing in their life. And I'm so I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know. Um, but anyway, so, so I, I think that's really important. You know, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. It's his way. Do you trust your way or his? You see, the, the wall is the unavoidable confrontation with God about whose way and whose will holds sway. That's what the wall is. We come up against the will of God and we say, is it going to be my way or am I going to let God have his way in my life? That's what the wall is. It's an unavoidable confrontation of wills. Are you ready? All right, let's dive into it. All right, so stage one. Stage one is recognition of God, all right? So this is the place where God humbles us. This is the, you know, for, for a lot of us, it's the first time that we recognize that God is real. We've come to this realization that we are not alone, that there is a, a God out there, that He is real. We're not sure what He's like or who He is, but we've come to this recognition of God. Now, it may be an intellectual recognition. You might have been reading Scripture and, and you've just gone, man, I believe that this is true. Or, or maybe, you, you know, through whatever reason, you've had an intellectual realization that, that God is real. Maybe it was an emotional uh, realization. Maybe you, someone invited you to church and you're just going, oh my goodness, uh, something is here. I don't know what it is, but there's something very real about this space. It could just be that sort of emotional recognition. Um, and so, or, or maybe it's a crisis. Maybe a, something has happened in your world where you've come to the end of yourself and you're just asking the question, is there even a God? Is there more to this life than just what I've experienced? For me, that was very much uh, my experience. Now, for a, a lot of people, they can have this uh, recognition of God and then just get kind of stuck there. Like, I know that God is real. I've had sort of some sort of spiritual experience, but they never seem to move past that point. The, the key to moving forward uh, at this stage is getting into a community. Uh, th this is the stage where we, uh, where we need to find people of like mind, people, uh, you know, that's where we get connected into a church community and discover that there is a whole lot more to learn about God. There's also a whole lot of other people that, that are also following this Jesus. Um, and, and so becoming a, a part of a strong group is actually key to moving forward in this stage. Um, at this point, we start to ease into a sense of belonging. We find community. And, uh, and that's when we can start to move on to stage two, which is life of discipleship. So it's at this space that God starts to ground us. This is the place of learning and belonging. So we're moving from um, just an isolated encounter where we're on our own uh, with the recognition of God to actually becoming a part of community and discovering that in community, this recognition of God is actually amplified. When we come into a space of community, we discover that God is way bigger than we ever realize and that he's moving in so many other people's lives and this is amazing and it's so cool. Um, yeah, so we learn the most about God in the stage and, and, um, and we, we're normally learning the most about God from other people. So at, who we follow at this point is actually really important. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I've been writing this book for a long time. You, most of you know that. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but, but one of the things that I've realized in my life uh, is that if someone gets into the wrong community, they can go from rebellion to religion really quick. Um, it's really important that, that we get into a healthy community where there's, where there's freedom, uh, where there's freedom to do the journey as well. That's really important. Um, at this stage, often we will have heroes in the faith, whether it's a, a pastor or a leader or maybe someone on YouTube that we watch all the time and we just sort of soak it all up. Uh, the problem at this stage is that those heroes can become idols. And we start to listen to everything that they tell us. And most of what we're learning about Jesus and about discipleship is based on someone else's experience, based on someone else's teaching. And we're not really, uh, at some point we need to move on from that where that actually starts to become real for us. You know, we're learning about Jesus because we are walking with Jesus versus we're learning about Jesus because I listen to this person who's walking with Jesus. Uh, Robert Gulach in the, in the book, I'll just call him Gulash from now on, is that all right? In more recent years, I have learned how important it is to have a community of faith with whom to identify and to share my journey. The emphasis for me now is more in the sense of community of a shared life and faith than on the learning. I have even found that the needs at this stage can best be met not by belonging to the right church as such, but by a group of people within a church or from several churches with whom I can share my journey and whose journeys I can share for my enrichment. Learning still takes place, but it comes more from the in the form of discovery enrichment and enrichment as we share our journeys of faith. All right, so um, being caged at stage two would look like this. We start to get very legalistic. So it's very seductive at this stage to believe that what is right for us in the faith is what is right for everyone else. We often believe that the religious or moral rules by which we live as a faithful disciple should be followed by everyone else. There is a tendency to become legalistic and moralistic and very rigid in our understanding of what is right and wrong. Um, so there is a real sense that we have to put everyone and everything in its right place. Um, Robert Farah Capone he said this, as long as we continue to live as, as though we are what we do and what we have and what other people think about us, we will remain filled with judgments, opinions, evaluations and condemnations we will remain addicted to putting people and things in their right place. This is what it looks like to be caged at stage two. So the, ma the major difference between um, being caged at stage one and those caged at stage two is this. At stage one, we think we are wrong and weak and others are right and wrong. At stage two, we think we are right and strong and that others are wrong and weak. Right, so we start to move forward uh, into stage, from stage two to stage three when we start to identify our gifts and abilities and realize that we actually have something to contribute to the community that we're a part of. And so this is stage three, the, the productive life. The productive life. So this is very much the doing stage. And, and I imagine a lot, of, uh, a lot of us here this morning are probably going to identify with this stage. Uh, so it's the doing stage. It's... Um, the, the characteristics uh, of stage three are that we, we start to find our role in the community. We start to discover our gifts and our purpose. We start to have a sense of responsibility for the growth of our community. There's a sense of uh, we're in this together. I have something to contribute. I have something to add value here. Um, it's just really the sense that we find God, find a friend, and then we find a job. 
you know. Um, uh, the problem is, is that if we just stop there, we've sort of, you know, do, do you know what I mean when I say that we've kind of painted that picture as the pinnacle of the Christian life? A- and it's just not. It's just a part of the journey. See, at stage three, it's a very goal-orientated life. Our sense of growth and success is most felt in what we are doing than who we are. So um, being caged at stage three, we're often very overzealous, uh, you know, which can lead to overworking and burnout. Um, you know, there's the sense that we look around at everyone else and we're going, why is everybody else not working as hard as me? Come on, do they not know that this is what we're here for? This is what we're, you know, this is, you know, there's, so there's this real sense that we're working hard and we're getting a little bit frustrated at everyone else that's just enjoying life and we're just getting stuck in working hard for God. And so this can lead to resentment, criticism, judgment, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but actually what it is at this stage, we don't realize it, that we are working hard thinking we are working for everyone else and working for God, but it's actually a very self-centered life. The truth is that most of culture and Western sort of churchianity and, and Western culture is based around this stage. You know, once you find your place, serve and, and that's it. You know, I mean, serving is really important. We serve one another, we love one another, all that stuff's really important, but, but there's actually more to this life in Jesus. See, level three, the stage three is all about the destination. We think we have arrived, but often after a while, we discover that it's not producing the happiness that we thought it should. So we move from stage three to stage four, and there's actually at this stage and moving on to stage four can actually feel like we're going backwards. Sort of the things that we thought should bring us Happiness and contentment are, are not. We're feeling a little bit burnt out, overwhelmed, disillusioned. We have a loss of certainty. All of our work does not deliver the personal satisfaction we expected, and, and we may start to question some, if not all, of the things we believe to be true. See, all of the accomplish, accomplishments and success at stage three were very gratifying for a while but now they start to feel a little bit empty and a little bit shallow. For some, we may have a bit of a personal crisis of faith. Now the truth is that most of us don't move past the stage. We either burn out at the stage, we plateau, we become disillusioned, we drift away, or we just become complacent and apathetic and just kind of go through the motions of the Christian life. Turn up, sing up, go home. Or we can journey forward. And this is why we say everyone is significant. This there is more. There is more. Stage four is the journey inward. And this is the place where we're feeling a little bit unsettled. God unsettles us. It's in this stage that we probably have a lot of questions, a lot of doubting, a lot of inward looking. At stage four, we may have a lack of direction or clarity. We may be feeling grief or some sort of loss. We may be dealing with offense or bitterness. There may be something like that. Someone has done something. Maybe one of the heroes that we have looked to our whole life, you know, put up on this pedestal, they've, they've fallen. 
And now we're going, well, if, if I put everything on what they taught me and now they're fallen, what, where does that leave me? You know, it feels like our foundation is swept from underneath us and now we're having to uh, discover again what it means to follow Jesus. And so it can, there can be a lot of doubt in this space. Well, maybe we've just decided to, we've started a journey of just looking inward and, and we didn't like what we saw. You know, the outside was kind of looking okay, but when we looked on the inside, we found that there was an imposter <laughs> on the inside. This false self, but we aren't really even sure what to do with this imposter and, and, and we're struggling to find our significance and all that and, and it's just this, this journey uh, inward. Now, now, the journey inward is the journey of the death to the self-life. Right, this is really important. It is, it is not the self-help journey. Come on, that verse said that self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way of Jesus. And so the journey inward is the journey of the death to the self-life and embracing the new life in Christ. But here's, here's the problem. How can we put to death the things of the, of the self-life to embrace the new life in Christ if we have not figured out what is false? to embrace the truth. See, we have to, at some point, face the lies we have believed and own them so we can receive the truth that Jesus wants to give us. See, this is the start of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on, who has read that verse and then prayed, like with all your strength, God, please, transform me by the renewing of my mind. You know, like, like we just kind of want to wake up and God's fixed us. Anyone prayed those sorts of prayers? I totally have. You know, I just want God to fix me and make me better. You know, aren't I a new creation? Why am I not living that out? And it's potentially because we have not actually looked inward to see what are the lies that we are believing that need to be replaced with truth. See, many believers are not willing to do the hard work of self-reflection. And some may even say that this inward journey is actually... Uh, to move away from Jesus. You know, isn't this kind of like the self-help message of the world? No, no, it's not. They're, they're very different because their outcomes are very different. They might look, look a little the same to start off with, but the outcomes are very different. See, the goal of this journey inward is to discover who Jesus really is for you, not the borrowed beliefs that we've grown up with not the borrowed beliefs that we've been taught, but to actually discover what is true for you in Scripture and in Jesus. See, this can look very different for many people, but it usually coincides with some sort of break from doing, a time of silence and solitude or a sabbatical or some sort of stepping back to look inward. Maybe we've just burnt out from all the doing. Maybe the thing we thought we were so right about aren't holding up anymore. You know, the things that at stage two that we thought we were so right about and discovering that maybe they're not right after all. A lot of soul work happens at this stage. Introspection, counseling maybe, scripture reading, silence and solitude. These are all part of this inward journey. But at some point, you've got to stop running to actually start this journey inward. You, you cannot take the journey inward when you're running a million miles now. See, last week, Ellie mentioned that she hadn't preached for a year. Now, Ellie was on a journey inward, and she'd actually stopped a lot of things so that she could take that journey inward. She stage four is all about the healing of the past, processing in the present, and receiving new dreams for the future. 
It is 11 o'clock. What time did I start? Okay. Are we doing okay? All right. This is important stuff. All right. So, so what happens if we don't embrace the journey inward? We actually just start to become less self-aware. Um, a number of different things might t- start to happen. We'll just regress back to stages two and three. We'll, we'll double down on our rightness. Or, or we'll go back to stage three and say, let's give this a go again. Come on, we've recovered from our burnout. Let's just get stuck in working hard for God. Maybe this time I'll feel some sense of purpose and significance from that. Uh, you know, all of these things can start to happen. Or we just disconnect. We just start to become apathetic. Just go through the motions of church. We might turn up every now and then and sing some songs. And, but there's just a spiritual numbness about it. All right, um, yeah, so all of this is really important. It's, it's this unsettling, this uncomfortableness is, is, is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. So let's imagine for a moment that you're sitting with God and, and you're saying, God, uh, uh, everything was going so well and I, uh, I just feel like shaky now and, and unsettled and, and maybe God might reply to you something like this. I had to make you uncomfortable, otherwise you would never have moved. See, as we're moving through stage four and onto stage five, five, we find ourselves coming up against the wall, all right? This is what we're going to look at now, the wall. Dum, 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 the wall. All right, so this is the place where God unmasks us, where the, the, the masks start to come off, the facades, all of that stuff starts to come up, come off. This is the most vulnerable stage of our journey. And I want to encourage you with this. The definition of courage is vulnerability. That, that is the definition of courage. To actually go, God, I'm going to face this. A.W. A. Tozer, he said this. It's, and I love this quote, but um, for some of you, you'll go, this is a horrible quote. Um, but, but looking retrospectively back through the wall, it totally makes sense. He, he said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Oh, that's a little bit mean, isn't it? But I, I think for anyone that has been through the wall will totally understand the sentiment behind it. There was a confrontation of wills. And I gave up. And I've let God. That, that's what Tozer is trying to get out here. See, sometimes God actually allows the storms of conflict and relationships at time in order to accomplish the deeper work. So what is the wall? It's the confrontation of our will against God's. The wall is a deep pain that we cannot get around. You know, at certain times in our lives, we'll come up against something. I'm sure all of you will relate to this. We come up against something, some kind of wall, and we can seemingly move around it. We, you know, we can kind of avoid it. We can kind of, you know, push down the pain. We can kind of, you know, just, oh, let's just start running or, you know, all of these sorts of things. We, we bring in some sort of escapism thing. But, but the wall, this wall is the unavoidable wall. See, we, we spend most of our lives creating defense mechanisms, especially as children. The, but the defense mechanisms we create as children to protect ourselves, uh, they are good servants when we're children. They are horrible masters when we're adults. And they actually start to rule us. 
they actually start to control us. And, and it's, sometimes it's these defense mechanisms that actually Jesus just wants to let down. Hey, you don't need to protect yourself. You can trust me. So what, what brings us to the wall? It could be some sort of moral failure, maybe the death of a loved one, a broken relationship, a divorce, some sort of crisis that is unavoidable. It's the, it's the wall is something that we cannot erase, we cannot ignore it, we can't just go around it, we actually have to look at it in the eye with all of its ugliness and look at Jesus and say, would you take me by the hand and lead me through it? Well, it's like the bear hunt. You know, we're going on a bear hunt. Yeah. Can't go around it. Can't go under it. Got to go through it. We've just got to go through it. In Psalm 23, it says this, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness. Oh, <laughs> even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness. What, Jesus, I thought that you were going to make my life nice. <laughs> no, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness. Come on, what is maturity? Letting God lead you to places you do not want to go. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me, and you lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely, for you are near Come on, we go through the wall in the hands of Jesus. We're not doing this alone. I want to give you a little illustration. Remember, some of you will remember a couple of years ago, I talked about the Jenga, oh, that was, that was lucky, the, the Jenga blocks that we build our lives, kind of like Jenga blocks. And all of these blocks represent truths, beliefs that we have about ourselves, about God, about others. And we kind of build our lives up. And, and the goal is ultimately safety, actually. The, the goal of, of what we build in our lives is to protect ourselves and for us to be safe. Um, but life happens, eh? You know, and, and um, I, I think that if, you, if you're someone that's going, actually, I want to move forward, and you start an inward journey, it kind of looks like this. You might like, like kind of um, take a brick. Oh. Yeah. So you take a brick out, and you kind of look at it, and you go, is this true? Or is this just a belief that I've borrowed from someone else? Is this something that I have constructed to keep myself safe, to protect me, all that sort of stuff? And, and you might go, yep, no, this is a true thing. I can build my life on this. And you start to deconstruct your, your life, your belief system, your, you know, what you believe, um, and recreate it centered on Jesus. Now, this is really, really healthy deconstruction and reconstruction. We, we should only take that journey if the goal is to reconstruct on Jesus. And so we take that journey and we take each brick and we kind of deconstruct and reconstruct in a really healthy way. Now the other thing that might, and so that's the start of the inward journey. The other thing that might bring us to the inward journey is kind of that. <laughs> like all of a sudden life just hits us like a ton of bricks and our whole world has come crashing down. 
right? And, and everything that we have believed, everything that we have trusted, everything that we have formed our life on has just come crashing down, and now we have to start putting it back together. And we've got to start putting it back together with Jesus. That is the key. He is, he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. It's only in him that we can actually start to rebuild our lives in a really healthy way. And, th and this is the wall. This is the wall. So however we come up against the wall, um, it, what happens at, at once we push through the wall is actually it's the place where, um, where spiritually and psychologically we experience both freedom and convergence. All right, so emotionally, we actually grow up as well as spiritually. Right, so there's maturity in our, in, in, in our uh, emotional health as well as our spiritual health. So up until this point, it's very possible for someone to be quite spiritually mature, yet quite emotionally immature. Or, or the reverse could be true. Someone could be emotionally quite mature and yet spiritually immature. Um, in fact, I would like to suggest that in, in charismatic and Pentecostal sort of environments, that it's very, very easy to mask our emotional immaturity with our spiritual experiences. Very easy. Where we, where we just, we don't want to face some of the stuff, and so we go, oh, but I'm having spiritual experiences, you know? Like, and, and so I must be very spiritually mature because I'm having all of these experiences, but actually, often what's happening is we are not, we're just not facing the wall. And it's just another way to avoid what is really going deep down on the inside. We might be walking around with a father wound, with a mother wound, uh, with all sorts of orphan-hearted tendencies showing up all around us, jealousy, contempt, insecurities, comparison, and, 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 and we, we become very unaware of how we are acting and how we are acting affects others. And, and, but the reverse could also be true, that we could have someone who's really self-aware, really uh, emotionally quite mature, but spiritually there's just no depth. But at this place, they, they come together. All right. I have so much more. Yeah, you need to come to Awaken You. All right, what, what I might do is just finish... Um, Finish. I'm going to finish in a minute if the, if the team can come. I, I, ha I even had space for questions. We're not going to have time for questions. Um, but if you do have questions, there's a slide up there. Um, if you do have questions, feel free to flick them through. Um, and if there's, uh, uh, if there's a few questions, I will do a, a thing during the week on it um, and, and help answer those questions. But definitely come to Awaken You. Now, uh, okay, so let me just finish um, with this thought. Um, in the story of Adam and Eve, and I think it's really important that we understand that, that the first story in the Bible is setting up the whole story. Like, the story of Adam and Eve flows right through Scripture. It's one complete narrative that leads us to Jesus. But in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, that they are our representatives. And they say to God, we want autonomy from you. We, we want to follow our own wills. We want to go our own way. And the result of the start of that story is destruction, chaos, and ruin. Now, years later, years later, the promise of the Messiah, 
Jesus, Ihu Karaiti, the second Adam, our representative, says to the Father, not my will, but yours. And he's in the garden again. From one garden where it was all, it all went wrong to another garden where Jesus is putting it all right. And what, what is it? It's where Jesus says, not your will, but, sorry, not my will, but yours. He, he's putting right what went wrong in the first garden. And as we follow Jesus, if you're committed to the life of faith, the life of following Jesus, it looks like that. Not your will, not my will, but yours. See, the, the wall was the confrontation of these two wills. In the um, 19th century, there was a, a guy called Alistair Crowley. He was a popular Satanist who, who became very popular and, and, and influenced pop culture in the, in the 19th and 20th century, he had this saying, and it sort of set up the way the world went even till now. He said, the whole of the law is this, do what thou wilt, do what you want. And in this age of secularism, where you know happiness and freedom is defined by choices, I can be what I want, I can do what I want, I live how I want, do what thou wilt is the mantra of secularism. And the result is we have the most anxious generation that's ever lived. During the week, um, Adeline came home from school and, she st and I said, oh, how, how was your day? Were, were you the rangatera today? Uh, rangatera means the leader um, in the class. I always ask them about that. And she goes, no, Daddy, I wasn't the rangatata today. But it's okay. I was resilient. <laughs> Which is cool. I really like that, that she said that. But our schools now are having to focus more on teaching our children how to be resilient in an anxious society. And I'm glad that she's resilient. You see, in Jesus, all things have been restored to their original identity and purpose. So we need to grasp the truth that Jesus not only came to restore relationship to the Father, which is why he died, but he also came into humanity to redeem humanity, to show us what it looked like to be truly human, to have love for God and love for others. Uh, you know, like, if, if we think about it, like, do you think that Jesus was like this kind of sort of unaware kind of person, sort of going around and doing his thing and not really realizing how his actions were affecting other people or... Like, or do you think that he was actually fully aware of who he was, who he was in the Father, who he was as a human, and, and how his actions were affecting everyone? I think Jesus was really, really self-aware. So the message of the kingdom wasn't repent and believe that so that you can get to heaven one day. Uh, the, the, if that's the point of the gospel, then there is no point to discipleship. There, there's no value in humanity or the human experience, there's no value to it. You know, if we just think we aren't, going to, we aren't going to be human one day and we're going to be floating, disembodied spirits floating in the sky, um, there's no point to our human experience. But Jesus came into humanity to redeem humanity. We're going to be fully resurrected, fully restored 
humans restored to the original design of the garden. In the book of Romans, Paul says that Jesus is the first in line of a restored and redeemed humanity. And we get to follow him. See, the Jesus invitation is this, repent and believe the gospel. Come, follow me, and I will make you. I will shape you, guide you, lead you to become like me. You will be my image bearers on the earth, bringing heaven to earth. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the journey inward is the death of self and the discovery of the new nature that Jesus has for you now, today, and for eternity. And I am absolutely convinced that the wall is the absolute making of a person. When someone can push through the wall, you come out the other side a whole new person. There's a whole new place of trust in Jesus. A whole new discovery of your identity in Him. You start to embrace that new life that He has promised. Yeah. Why don't we stand this morning? Um, I'll just finish with this. I thought this was funny. Someone shared this on Facebook this week. We can check it up on the big screens too. But this is what the wall looks like. It feels like God's flicking us off the cliff, yeah? But he's also right there catching us. And it's beautiful. Um, I might during the week just finish off the last couple and, and answer any questions, but um, we've, we've run out of time today. Sorry about that. Let me pray, and um, we're just going to take some, uh, some time just to respond with communion and uh, however you might want to respond this morning. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you that you are truly good. Yeah. Yeah, I just think of that, that saying in the, the Narnia movie. He's good. He's not safe, but he's good. Sometimes this journey, Father, it can feel so unsafe. It feels unsafe because we have put our trust in ourselves. We have put our trust in external circumstances. But Father, we thank you that you are leading us to find our security and our identity and our safety and our protection in you alone. It is you alone who can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. It is you alone that leads us. It is you alone that guides us. We thank you that you, you are, are, are good, that you are, are leading us. That, Father, we thank you that this is the Christian journey. I thank you that, that as believers we could demonstrate to a world around us that it's actually okay to journey through suffering. 
that there is hope on the other side, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that, that as we journey through these things in life, that we are, we are not growing down, but we are growing up. Father, I, I thank you that at times when it feels like, that, like things are falling apart, actually you are just wanting to put us back together in a healthy way, in a new way, in, in a way that is centered on you. So Father, I just pray for every person here this morning that we would own our stage of apprenticeship that we would own where we are at on the journey and that we would have the, the, the strength and, and the trust in you to move forward in the journey. We thank you for what you're doing, God. We love you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen.